It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. We are very pleased to be joined by the director of scouting, Doug Wilson Jr. Jr., first of all, thank you so much for the time. It's really nice to catch up with you, but how are things going as you lead into another draft this upcoming summer? Uh, thanks, Billy. Yeah, so far so good. We just got back from Buffalo where we had our first uh, in-person combine in three years. So that was, uh, that was nice to see all the guys again and kind of get a little bit back to normalcy for that and go through our interviews. So right now we have about three weeks of lead time, just finishing up a couple more interviews and uh, a lot of Zoom calls and then get back together with our scouts at the end of the month. So yeah, it's a pretty busy season for us right now. Yeah, and you're very kind to give us a little bit of your time. This is the busy season for you yeah. and your group. Just finished up the scouting combine. I want to ask about the scouting combine because often we think of the NFL scouting combine, and these are basically finished products that are going to step into the NFL and play right away. In hockey, it's a little bit different of an animal. Maybe a couple guys will play in the NHL next year, but most guys will go either back to junior, go to college, go back to Europe. So what can you surmise from the scouting combine? What do you get away from this event? Well, it's fascinating because you brought up the football combine, right? So when, when you go through football testing and they have the 40 time and, and the bench and the squats and, and they can actually do, you know, football related drills, uh, you know, shuttles and, um, you know, catching and throwing, et cetera. We, we don't necessarily get to do that. We don't get to do any on ice testing. That was mostly at the halfway mark of the season at like the all American game, the top prospects game, et cetera. So uh, when we go to this combine, it's a lot more projection. I mean, you'll have guys who just finished their season, uh, you know, three days prior uh, competing against guys who finished their season two and a half months ago. Um, so you have to kind of take all of that information with a grain of salt. Uh, Mike Potenza actually ran the combine this year in charge of all the um, strength and conditioning coaches. So that was a huge benefit for us for him to kind of basically lay the groundwork for the first combine in three years. So Potsy flew out with his team uh, with Steve Delestrio and they did a great job. Um, but yeah, we interviewed, you know, just under 80 players, I want to say um, in person. And then we have a lot more zooms coming up here too, with some other European players. So uh, it was nice to kind of see the guys again and, and, you know, watching them work out and see how they fight through the bike test. You forget how tough the wind gate is and the VO2 and things like that. So the last two groups of the draft, you know, they got lucky. They didn't have to do it. So we're back to normal now. I don't know if you've ever personally done the VO2 testing, but we always hear about it because of how physically straining it is. Why is that the big talking point from a workout standpoint leading into the draft? Is it really that difficult how, how it's cracked up to be? <laughs> Yeah, you know what it's funny? So you got two different bike tests. You got the VO2 test, and you just pretty much try to see what your lung capacity is. And then the wind gate, it's a 30-second test. So you're sitting there thinking, oh, the wind gate's going to be easy, the, you know, the 30-second test. But the problem is you have to maintain 
So these guys who've never done it before, right? They try and get up to like max threshold in the first five seconds. Then they realize they got 25 more seconds of this. And then the puke bucket comes to the left. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny to see how the guys react differently to it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we just, we take the numbers and kind of work with it through Mike Potenza and, and see, you know, how the, this group 18 year olds did compared to, you know, our current group of NHLers at the time. But it is always funny to see the guys doing the Wingate uh, for the first time and realizing it's the longest 25 seconds of their life once they get back on the bike. You, you mentioned Mike Potenza, strength and conditioning coach for the San Jose Sharks. You said he ran it, his group ran it. Is that a benefit to the organization, given the fact that you've got your strength coach working with these pro- prospects one-on-one? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic because the way it's set up at the combine is they have like a long table uh, with all the strength coaches from all the teams and they sit there and they've got their laptops and they're watching certain guys. But because Mike Potenza is running it, he was actually on, um, on the court, you know, walking through with each of the prospects, uh, making sure that they're, you know, they're not cheating on the line for the vertical jump or the long jump, uh, making sure that they're doing the bike test normal for everybody. So he got to be kind of more up close and personal. And he also got to make sure like all the testing was exactly what he wanted um, so it was really nice to be able to have that. I mean, Potsy's a heck of a strength coach with a great reputation. So, uh, that was a huge benefit for us that, uh, that he was running the entire combine for all the NHL teams. So we're recording this interview mid June. The draft is going to be early July out in Montreal. So over the next couple of weeks, how do things look like they're going to shake out for yourself personally and for the group as you guys try to be as ready as possible for the draft? Yeah. So we do, we do zooms right now every day. I mean, it's funny because Zoom is based in San Jose and we've been using them forever. And then obviously what happened the last couple of years, nothing really changed on our end from, from the workflow. Um, so this is kind of how we've been doing it. This is my sixth year running the draft. And uh, for the next few weeks, I mean, our list is pretty much in order, but it's pretty much, you know, crossing, crossing uh, T's and dotting the I's in regards to, do we have background checks on everyone? You know, are there any other injuries we need to know about, um, you know, doing some crossover video. So, we have uh, a Zoom every week with our North American amateur group. We have a Zoom every week with our European amateur group. Uh, we're going to all get together as a group again for about seven days uh, leading up to the draft. So it's really just preparation. But uh, at this point in the, in the process, our list is effectively 95% done. Going quickly back to the combine, going back to all the prep that leads into the draft, Beyond physical testing, the interview process, I know you aren't going to interview every single prospect over a weekend in Buffalo, but you have to do this stuff over the last year, over the last 12 months. But how important is the interview process for these players? Yeah, I mean, in Buffalo, I think we only spoke to two players that we hadn't spoken to already throughout the season. So it's nice to put like a a name to face, et cetera, but our area guys do a great job of interviewing you know, players throughout the season. And I think that that's the big thing. You know, these kids go to Buffalo and they, they're at the rink and they're going to meet with 32 teams and only, you know, 20 minutes each. And they're all going to be asked the same questions or asked to watch the same video or do the same test. So for us, it's more, you know, getting local area scouts of different areas to see these players um, because most of the players have already been interviewed by our local guy. So it's really just another, you know, data point for us, um, you know, getting to finally see them face to face and meeting other people in our organization and kind of getting some crossover work. So um, Buffalo, it's, it's a nice ad for the interviews. 
Uh, but it's more of just the entirety of the process of when we started talking to him, you know, seven, eight months ago. So the last two drafts have been virtual. You've worked with your scouts. You've been over to Europe. I know the U18s were in Germany this past year. But how excited are you to get back in person and get to reward your scouting staff as well beyond just the draft itself? You get to be around these guys, enjoy dinners, and enjoy time together. How excited are you to get everybody back together? Yeah, it's, it's so great to get everyone back together. And, and something people don't realize, too, is like the NHL draft is, is very rare in the sense that we, you bring all your scouts. So at our table in Montreal, there's going to be 20 of us at the table, and there's 32 tables all right next to each other. Um, whereas the NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball draft, they usually do them from their hometowns, and they might have a, um, a representative just you know on the, on the court or in the arena for it. Um, so with ours, there's just so much more buzz and um, things happen at the draft. I mean, you can you can walk. I, I remember a couple instances where we made trades with uh, with teams at the draft and, you know, they were just sitting sitting at the table next to us. And, and that's kind of how it works. So it's a totally different dynamic. I'm so excited to get back to it, um, especially Montreal. It's, you know, the draft's supposed to have been in Montreal the last three years. And uh one of our scouts, longtime scout, Gilles Cote, who's been with us forever, he covers the Quebec League and he's retiring this year. So to have his final draft uh, there in Montreal is going to be fantastic. So I can't wait to see what he wears. He's got the best style on our staff. So it, uh, it's just an exciting time. We're all looking forward to it. I want to hear reports uh, about, <laughs> the, about the weekend. That was kind of a, a follow-up to my next question Going again to Montreal, this is the heart and soul of the sport, really going back up to Canada, being able to celebrate the sport and a new crop of players coming into the fold. Is there any restaurants, specific places that you're excited to go back and kind of revisit as you'll return back to Montreal? Yeah, well, shoot, Montreal is such a good town. My, uh, my uncle won four Stanley Cups in that town in the 70s with the Canadians, Murray Wilson. So I think we've got a pretty good history of where to go in that city. Um, I will... I will keep that under wraps of where we're going. So but yeah. there's, there's some good spots. Don't want to divulge too much <laughs> information. I understand that. Uh, with the team picking this year at number 11 overall, a little bit different than last year. You were in the top 10 last year. And I know you had William Eklund very high on your board last year, and he fell to you guys. How does the approach change this year going into a new draft year on the outside of that top 10? Does the philosophy change? Does the approach change at all? Not really. I mean, we, we tend to go with best player available. I think it makes sense because, you know, in hockey, we're drafting 18 year olds and it's very rare for these players to go directly onto the NHL team. So you have no idea what your roster is going to look like, you know, one year, two years, three years out when these players are actually coming in and helping you. Um, when you're picking seven, you are probably looking at players that will help your team sooner than later. You know, William Eklund played nine games with us last season, and he's coming in to compete with us uh, for this upcoming year. I think 11 is going to be fascinating because there's a few more facets in it where if one or two guys drop, they could be in the same page as Eklund. Um, you know, if they don't drop, I, I still like that crop that's there. But we're kind of waiting more for what's going to happen in front of us at 11, whereas at 7, we were able to be a little bit more proactive. Um, the way the draft is shaping out, though, I really like where we're sitting. I'm sure everyone is going to say that. But I think at 11, you're right in the mix of that kind of, you know, there's the guys that are going to go top three or four. But in this year's draft, I think, you know, the next, say, seven, eight, nine picks, 
it's going to be fascinating what order it goes into. And we're right in that mix. So I think we're going to get a really good player at 11. Um, and we just got to wait a little bit more time to see who, who falls to us. We're talking to Doug Wilson, Jr., Director of Scouting for the Sharks. You talked about in-person drafts, making trades with tables, maybe sitting right next to you. And maybe it's not you guys involved in the trade market, but do you expect a little bit more activation when it comes to draft day trades than maybe what we've seen over the last couple of years, given the fact that it's been virtual? I think you'll see a little bit more activity in regards to the trade market, just because everyone is there together. Um, you know, every team is going to get to Montreal four or five days early. Uh, you'll see, you know, players being interviewed three or four days before the draft. And, you know, you're curious, Oh, this guy went into that room, like, or this guy's going over there, like, you know, things like that. And I think there might be a little bit more jockeying for position um, around the draft um, this season. But having said that, when we looked at it, the, the amount of trades that happened the last two virtual drafts was roughly the same as when they were live drafts. So, um, you know, even though everyone's going to be there, I think at the end of the day, every draft has roughly the same amount of trades. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit more talk this year. But, uh, but yeah, uh, not, not expecting anything too crazy. What about size? What is the philosophy on a player and how he is built? Because going back to the last handful of drafts, you guys have not been deterred by a player's size. Look at William Eklund last year, Ozzy Weisbach. These are players that are under six feet tall, but that does fit the modern game. So from a size philosophy, do you guys have any approach when it comes to how a player is built? Um, we look more at athleticism than, you know, I think some people, when they say size, they, they're talking about height, but you have to take into consideration how athletic these guys are, how strong their trunks are, how strong their legs are. Um, you know, the first draft I ran, our first pick was Josh Norris, and he was a freak athlete. He won every competition at the Combine. Um, that same draft, we took Scott Reedy, and Scott's, you know, a 6'2", right shot center, and he blew out the Combine, too, and he's a big body. You know, Mario Ferraro was that draft. Um, he's not tall, but if you want to go tell Mario Ferraro he's not strong, <laughs> be my guest. <laughs> so um, I think sometimes it gets overblown in regards to height. And I think it's more, you know, strength, um, athleticism and ability. You know, we do have a couple of guys, uh, you know, Thomas Bordalo and uh, Ozzy Weisblatt, et cetera. But uh, when you look at it, that was really just from the one draft, the 2020 draft. And that's what that draft class gave you, right? So you don't want to go out of your way to try and uh, force things. And the 2020 draft, I feel like not just the Sharks, but uh, overall in the NHL, you're going to see quite a few mid-sized guys make it because that's what that draft class gave you. Um, you know, last season we took William Acklin because he was best player. And then later in the draft, we're very excited about Gannon LaRock, a, a 6'2 D-man and uh, Artem Gurriev, a 6'4 D-man, et cetera. So um, we're not as concerned about, about height as we are athleticism, strength, ability to be knocked off pucks, elusiveness, um, and just not forcing things at the draft table. Every, every draft brings you different types of players. That's an interesting point to say that that draft gave you that type of player. And it's not just you're going into the draft. We want this type of player. It's, it's kind of what it, what it gives you. This will be your sixth draft in your current position. How have things changed for you personally over the last handful of years? And do you feel like it's different for you going into now, again, your sixth draft? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, uh, I learned a lot from Tim Burke in my, in my four years just uh, learning under him prior. 
And uh, he's got some unbelievable philosophies and he's fantastic with player development. And what I've kind of learned is every player you draft, you have to have a program for. Um, you have to know why are we picking this player and what is our plan to help this player become the best player he can over the next three or four seasons. I think it's been fascinating not having a combine the last two years because we weren't necessarily allowed to um, see these players physical testing. So it's always curious, you know, Brandon Coe, we drafted um, and he's six foot four and he can jump through the roof and he's super athletic. You know, you're always curious if, if we had a combine that year, you know, would Brandon Coe have gone way higher, um, you know, because 32 teams would have been able to see him perform athletically. Uh, and you can say the opposite about some other players too. So this is kind of like the third iteration where we're back to being able to see guys in person. We got to go to every single rink, got to go overseas, things like that. And uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned is you have to stay focused on acquiring the best player that's going to help you in the future win a Stanley Cup and make sure every player you draft, there's a specific program and plan in place to help them succeed. You brought up Brandon Coe. He's coming off a fabulous season. He returned back to the OHL, overage player of the year, Sharks prospect of the year. What do you think about his season going back to the Ontario League and the way he approached it as a little bit of an older player who now had a taste of the professional game, but then was returning back to his junior league? My biggest impression from Brandon this year was how consistent he was. I think he'll be the first one to tell you that in his actual draft year, he was not consistent. I mean, again, for a six foot four, 25 goal scorer in the OHL who played in the top prospects game, there was no rationale as to why he went in the fourth round. And I think the only thing you can think of is he was very inconsistent. He had some fantastic games his draft year and he had some very bad games. And uh, then he comes to the American League, you know, um, and he looks the part because he's 6'4", but he still is so young. You know, he scored one goal in 17 games. He was healthy, scratched a lot. I think it was a huge learning lesson. And uh, to go back this year and pretty much just say, hey, I'm taking over my career now and, and let's go here. He was consistent all year long and he had a phenomenal playoffs. And I'm really proud of Brandon. I think he just took his career you know, kind of like bull by the horns and uh, was consistent all season. And I, I can't wait to see him come to San Jose now. It's, I mean, you only had that one time, right, to see those guys play American League at that age. So it'll be fascinating to see how that transitions to his next, you know, full season pro. Yeah, it was as unique of a situation as you'll ever see. And hopefully we won't have to deal with anything like that again because it was impacted by COVID. Going back to that 2020 draft, nine forwards drafted in that draft, a franchise record. Going into this draft, I believe you selected nine players last year as well. Is it about volume still? Are you guys trying to take as many swings at the plate as possible? Or is there any sort of philosophical change going into this upcoming draft? Well, last year's draft was different. We drafted, uh, I want to say, five players with OHL roots, and the OHL didn't play last season. So we kind of saw that as something we wanted to take a few swings at. And uh, this year's draft, you know, I think you want to take swings, but you want to get the right players. Um, you know, an example I kind of go back to is uh, Daniil Gushkin. Like, we traded up for Daniil Gushkin. We didn't necessarily want to move two picks. To, to move up. But when you have a player rated as high as we had Goosh rated, you have to go get him. So, you know, I, I don't think we go into the draft saying we need tons and tons of guys. But um, the five years prior to the 2020 draft, we had the lowest total number of draft picks of any NHL team. So 
So I think it was super important for us to load up. Uh, but now we have defensemen, we have, you know, Benny Goodrow, uh, we signed Strauss Mann, we have some Fords. So I think we're in a really good spot right now to just focus on best player available since we have some depth at all different positions. We've talked about that kind of cycle that occurs when you draft a player and then the couple of years proceeding his draft, eventually getting to the pro level, AHL and then NHL. We've got a big crop of players joining the full potentially this upcoming season. We talked about Thomas Bordalo played a little bit with the Sharks last year and with the Barracuda, Tristan Robbins, potentially Ozzy Weisblatt, Gushton, as you mentioned, all from this 2020 class, also Brandon Coe. Are you excited to see what these guys are all about now that they've matured, developed back in junior, and now will embark on their pro careers? Yeah, I'm really excited. I think now, you know, this is the part of the time where players go from their junior careers to their pro careers, and so they get handed off within the organization. So, you know, our, our scouting staff drafts them, and then we hand them off to Tim Burke to help develop them. Now they're being handed off to the coaching staff. And uh, John McCarthy actually went out last year as part of our player development staff and got to see all of these players in their, um, in their hometowns and playing juniors. And with, uh, with Johnny Mack as the new Barracuda head coach, he already has significant experience working with some of these guys um, on the player development side, which I think is crucial because now he knows exactly, you know, what to expect. And these guys know there's nowhere to hide. Johnny's already seen them play juniors. Right. So I think, uh, I think this is going to be a really good class that's going to be challenged. And I think Tim Burke has done a great job with all of them developmentally. And now it's our job to turn to the next draft class. And, uh, and their careers are now in Johnny Mack and, and Boogie's hands. So here we go. Well, this is a little bit of a Barracuda-centric podcast. And you mentioned John McCarthy. One of the big things when this announcement was made and this is no knock on anybody who was there prior, but John is a great hockey mind and he's going to be perfect to really develop these players even more so and continue to push them towards the NHL. From your experience with John, both of as a player and now in a coaching realm, why do you think he'll be a, a perfect, I guess, bridge between drafting, developing AHL and then NHL? Well, Johnny Mack was on the road last year and he went out and he visited all of our drafted players. So he went out and he saw Ozzy Weisblatt. He saw Tristan Robbins live. He saw Ethan Cardwell. He saw Goosh and, and Brandon Coe, you know, just to name a few guys. So he knows where they came from, what their backgrounds are, what leagues they played in, what their deficiencies are, um, strengths, weaknesses, et cetera. So there's no, there's no cold handoff here from scouts to coaches. He knows exactly what to expect. Um, and those players in turn know that Johnny Mac has seen them and has history with them. So there's the, you know, the, the term I kind of use is there's nowhere to hide, right? So these guys can't come in and pretend to be different types of guys. John has already seen them play. And I think for Johnny Mac in particular, that's going to be huge because right off the gate, he's going to know, I think these guys could play well together. I think these guys, you know, have different skill sets or these guys have similar. So let's break them up. I think it's just going to give us that extra little bounce um, to start guys off earlier in the roles that they need to be in to succeed, as opposed to, you know, waiting 10, 12, 15 games through the CUDA season and be like, okay, let's see if there's any uh, chemistry here. I think Johnny Max already got a good feel of who to play with who to get the best out of players. And uh, that gives us a leg up in the player development. We chat a little bit via text a handful of weeks back. You were overseas. The U18s were in Germany this year, and that's a nation that's grown as a hockey nation over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. But 
What do you take away from that tournament? I know hockey fans are really into the U20 tournament, the World Junior Championships. U18 is big, though, for the draft. So what do you take from a sample size, like that kind of a condensed sample size we're seeing players against their peers competing at a really high level? Yeah, it's, it's the best of the best of the draft eligibles. I mean, from, from my own personal job, that the U18 tournament is more important than the U20 tournament. The U20 tournament would be more important for player development coaches and, and Tim Burke, our assistant GM, to see how our prospects stack up to other teams' prospects. Um, but the U18, it's fantastic. I mean, and anything can happen. Sweden beat USA in the gold medal game. USA outshot Sweden 51 to 15. I mean, it, it, it's, it's fun to see. It's, uh, it's always nice to see these guys compete against each other, uh, who steps up. And it also gives you a little bit of insight into the players for the following draft um, because there are some 16 and 17 year olds on those teams. So it's a great way to see, okay, here's the culmination of this whole season. Here's what we have to look forward to for next year. So it's, it's just a really good end of season tournament. Um, you know, having said that those guys all played 40, 50, 60 game seasons. So it's just a little piece of, you know, all the data points that you have. But, um, you know, to see guys step up in big moments, I mean, we're trying to win a Stanley Cup, right? So that's, that's what you're looking for, guys who step up in big moments. Every class a little bit different. They all are unique in their own right. How would you describe this class, this 2022 class? It's a good class in the sense of there's different pockets of the draft that you really, really like. I think positionally we've been pretty spoiled with some high-end goaltenders, you know, taken pretty high um, over the last few years. Um, you know, last year we, we took uh, Ben Goodrow and there were two other goalies taken in the first round. There were some other goalies taken. So I'm not so sure you're going to see that as much this year. Um, you know, there's some good goaltenders in the draft, but I'd be surprised if any win as high as they have previously. Um, but having said that, this year's draft has a lot more physicality, a lot more size, and I think it has a lot of depth. Um, like I said, there's different pockets in the draft that I feel like if we can get into certain pockets, you're going to have a lot of really good players to choose from. And uh, from that perspective, I'm really excited. Talking quickly about the goaltending position, Ben Goodrell, you mentioned you guys took him a year ago, highly touted prospect within the organization. You brought in Strauss Mann as a kid who played at Michigan, went overseas this past year. Never say never, but you solidify the goaltending position from a prospect standpoint a little bit. You've got, of course, the kid in Denver as well and a couple of guys under contract. So going into the draft, would it be a surprise for Sharks fans to see you guys select a goaltender? <laughs> well, no, we took nine forwards one time, right? So maybe we take nine goalies this year. I got no idea. Maybe I'm just playing quiet with you and I love every goalie and we're taking a goalie at 11. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, no, I think that there's some good goaltenders this year, but they're going to need some work and some development. So we're, we're fortunate to have Evgeny Nabokov. So I work closely with Navi on, um, on the goaltenders from the draft perspective. So uh, there's definitely goalies on our draft list. And I, I just think that this year, more than the last few years, it's going to be what does your organization you know, look for in the goaltending position? And we might gravitate more towards one type of goalie, another team might gravitate towards another type of goalie. So I'm not so sure that the rankings of goalies this year are going to be followed, you know, one, two, three, four, however they're ranked by central or by the sharks or by public, et cetera. Um, but there's definitely some good goalies out there. I think it's just more what type of goalie do you gravitate towards?
Speaking of what's going on currently in the NHL, we look at the Avs, we look at the Lightning. That's going to be our Stanley Cup final. Is there anything that you take away from these organizations? I know it's a copycat league from a drafting standpoint, what they've been able to do to build their teams up. Do you take anything away from other teams or is that something teams do not do? Oh, I I think you have to. I mean, the biggest thing this year, I think, is Tampa Bay, that they have found different ways to win in different games and different series. I mean, this Tampa Bay Lightning team that we're watching right now is totally different from the Tampa Bay team that's won the last two years. I mean, it's incredible. And they're still winning. You got to tip your cap to them. I mean, they won a Stanley Cup in a bubble. They won a Stanley Cup in a season with no fans. And now they're in the finals again in a, in a normal 82-game season. I mean, they have just gone through so much adversity and they've found a way to be a diverse team and they've lost players and they've brought in other players. Um, but like you said, at the end of the day, their core players, they drafted internally. Um, they drafted Vasilevsky. They drafted Kucherov. Uh, they drafted Braden Point, Steven Stamkos. And even the young guys coming up, they drafted Ross Colton. Um, you know, so I, I think at the end of the day, when you look at how many high-end picks some of these teams have, I mean, Edmonton, I want to say, had 10 first-round picks were in their top 16 of scoring and five of those guys were top five overall. And then you look at this Colorado team and I believe they have five guys who are taking top five as well. I mean, uh, McCarr, Bowen Byram, Rantanen, Landis Gog, McKinnon. I mean, their depth guys, Andrew Cogliano was a first rounder. Valerie Nachushka was a first rounder. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to pinpoint how many guys, on these teams were first round picks and you know, you need those guys to win. So um, theme wise, it's just, you got to be able to win in different ways. I think that's important, but two, you still need the talent and you got to get the talent through the draft. That's how all these teams have done it. Yeah. Especially with the modern day salary cap, you've just got to draft and develop. It's uh, really the only possible way to win, at least on a consistent basis. One more question for you before we do let you go. And thank you so much for the time. You personally, and you don't have to divulge anything, do you go into drafts with, with a wish list? Do you have something internally that you hope to accomplish? I think every scout has one or two guys that they hope to uh, leave the draft table with. So that, uh, we're going to go with that. I think that's fair. Everybody has a player maybe they're, they're a little bit in love with, if you will. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Doug Wilson Jr., we can't thank you enough for the time. Really do appreciate the insight, as always. I know this is a very busy time of the year for you, so we wish you nothing but the best going into the draft. And again, thank you for the time. Thanks, Billy.